0: Welcome to Larpender Life, the podcast about H.P. St. Paul in the 80s and 90s. I'm your host, Dave Carey.
1: The start of my life wasn't real positive. And I think that you can either one of two ways you can get down and stay that way, or you can try to have fun with it. I got a guy here looking for a tall salesman to sell urinals. It's probably the best day of my, of
0: my uh, business life. This is episode seven, and my guest today is Raleigh Matson. He's got some great stories. If you missed any of the previous episodes, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach me at larpenterlife at gmail.com. And now, here's my discussion with Raleigh. My guest today is Raleigh Matson. Raleigh, I'm really happy that you joined me today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Looking forward to it. I always like to start by asking people how they got connected to HP. When was that for you and how did it happen?
1: Right out of college, I went to a, I went to a, a headhunter and I walked in the door and the guy said, I got a job for you. you got, I got a guy here looking for a tall salesman to sell urinals. And I, I, I said, okay. I, I guess that wasn't what I had in mind. But no. Um, so he put me in charge uh, up with a, uh, a small computer firm called Com- Comserve, and they had two large old IBM mainframes. You want to use that term? They actually tabulation equipment. And I would and I would go out and I would sell data processing services to companies. So we would do their their general ledger. We would do their receivable, their payables, that sort of thing. So they would then courier over a bunch of eighty column punch cards. And we'd run through the machines and say, this is what you got. It was, we didn't know how antiquated it was. We, we thought we were, we thought we, we were leading edge. Then I was getting, you know, getting tired, tired of that. And I, just, I, I was going to night school during my comster serve run at St. Thomas getting an MBA. So then I said, okay, I want to take a little different shot. So went to another headhunter. And next thing you know, I'm talking to Tom Ovinger at, at HP. And so I, I had, a that's how I got into it. I didn't even know what HP even was or what it was. And quickly quickly became a lot of fun for me. And what year was that, Raleigh? Yes, I think it's either eighty or eighty-one. Now, If you'd asked me twenty years ago, I'd have known. But Dave, I'm older than, I, than when I started there, so it's eighty or eighty-one, somewhere in there.
0: <laughs> so, what do you remember about the HP office and the environment at that at that time?
1: What I remember most
0: is, you know, it's the people.
1: They we there. There were exceptional people in every area of the business. I don't want to sound like some kind of a Pollyanna, but you talk about management, you've got. Paul Sherman, you've got, you, you've got Obinger, you've got um, Eddie Slavin, you've got people that really were, that cared about you. And it came, it came through in Brabant. So, you know, Eddie Slavin was my boss and I know you know her and uh, Eddie, I, I I have a regret in life is that I, I didn't tell Eddie how much I liked her. And then that passed. I, I called her one time as, as she was getting more and more sick. And I just told her, I just want to tell you, I didn't appreciate you when I was there. For whatever reason i was i was a, a dumb kid but i gotta tell you i've never come across a person in my business life who cares more about you the exception might be uh sherman Act might be the same way but they cared about you as a person and that's just and that just makes everything better so that was that's what i remember the, the people uh were just extraordinary very open i was new and they made, they made me feel like part of the family like within the first day or so
0: so you had a long career in sales and I know there's a lot of difficult things about being a salesperson, but but what are the some of the things that drove you to that and kept you in that? What are the things that you you really liked about that?
1: Well, I will tell you one story, and if you don't believe me, then shame on you because it's true. I was a bus. We came from a very 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 low income family, and I was a busboy in high school at a place called Eddie Webster's, which I out by the ballpark. It's been long gone. The ballpark's gone too. Um, And I used to be on bus and bar and bus boy. And these guys always came in the middle of the afternoon and they looked rich. They had nice suits on and they had nice white shirts on. And they had these huge watches. All I could look at is look look at that watch. I want to do seriously what they do to get that watch. That's absolute truth what happened. And so I started pointing towards being a salesman because uh, I tell people I have no marketable skills. You know, I've got I've got enough college degrees, but I I, I cannot do anything that requires work to make it better, or whatever. So, but I selling just came naturally to me. I just always love it. I love the people. I love the people I work with. I love the people I sell to, and uh, that's why it was such a, a great forty five year career. There were some you meet some fine fine people out there. So
0: I believe it completely, Raleigh, because that's the way. Whenever I've ha- I've had the opportunity to work with you, that's exactly what it's been like, and you make it fun. Uh, that's that's always been true. I think I remember a story being told that it was just a little before I started about a uh, company car that you had have modified. Is that was that true? Well, well, Dave, that brought out the worst
1: people because they were all jealous of me. They, we, could have, we could have any company car we wanted. Back then, we had a lot real flexibility, so I picked the K car. Which was a, a, a Plymouth K car or Chrysler K car. It was just small, but it made up for being small by being poorly built. It, it, but I wanted one, so I got it, and I realized I didn't fit in it. So Gary in the garage back then said he could, you know, move the seat back. And I said, "What? Well, that makes sense." So he moved it back, so the front seat could touch the back seat. So I would, uh, so I didn't even put that car back, back. So I, I would drive home. I waved the kids through the rear window. That was my K car, and it was a, it was a nice enough car, but I'll never forget looking out the rear window and people people thought it was a clown car.
0: So. so, aside from uh, car front seats and issues with that, um, do you think your height was something that that helped you in in your career as a salesman, or do you think it also were there any ways that it hurt you?
1: You know, um, people ask me how that is. I said, you know, I've been, I've been this height since I was you know fourteen. So I think that it can work both ways. I've been told it's intimidating. And so I don't mean it to be because I'm not an, you know, I'm not an intimidating person. I just a fun guy. I want to have fun, but I've been told. So I would make make a case. I would always step back from customers and I try to get sit, sit down, seated down as fast as I could. Cause I didn't want to be looming over Because I don't, I think that we, I want to sell on the merits of the product and the merits of the company and the merits of me. Well, kind of some impose some sort of a, hammering the deal. So that's what, it was bad. On the upside, people um, have told me that it gives you a more of a, again, a command of the room and they listen to you. Um, so I don't I don't know if that's true, you know, I uh, people ask how it feels to be this tall. I started knocking my head on, on, on the doors when I was 14. I, I walked into high school, Kennedy High School, as a, as a sophomore and I strode in there because I was gonna be a sophomore first day and I hit the little, little uh, metal device that closes the door, you know, that little thing. And I hit it, and I fell to my knees right away, right there, and I was bleeding down my forehead. That's the way I started Kennedy High School. I was I, Everyone was impressed. So that was a downside to my height. The upside, you know, it's it's a good conversation to start. People want to talk to you about ask you about it. They, they, they seek you out. What is it to know? So. Uh,
0: you mentioned the management at, at HP in those early days and how good it was. Yes. Do you want to talk about that a little more?
1: Sure. You know, I, 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 I'll talk about, you know, Shermac, who, who really cares. And, and you could tell that. But remember when we had Spectrum? Were you there when we had Spectrum? Sure. Okay, as you well remember, the HP, the, the our, our servers were kind of getting old in the tooth. So they have this new technology called Spectrum, which is going to save the world. And so we were waiting for that, and everyone was waiting for that, and it didn't come and it didn't come. And then all of a sudden, we're getting beaten up by our customers. We didn't have Spectrum yet. So Paul Shermack was on vacation with his wife down Mexico or Jamaica, whatever. And he, he walked in this bar at the edge of the pier. And it was a tiki bar. He's sitting down there having a drink and there's a guy over next to him. He says, so what do you do? Paul says, I work for HP. He says, where's my spectrum? <laughs> so he said, you cannot go the ends of the earth and not get beaten up on spectrum. So yeah, but uh, the management, I, I they 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 listened to you. They took care of you. Um, it was not, they were, they were not bullies. They were not brutal to it. And I don't think there were any games been played. I think there was just really just people. So, you know, sure, course wrapped up the course. When I, you know, when I first started HP, I had a, a one-month-old son, and we'd been married for just a couple of years, and we had little money, uh, and so we had to go away training for two weeks. And Rappaport says, "Oh, how about your wife?" I said, "Well, you know, she'll you know, she'll be here with the kid." He says, "Well, have, take her with you." And I said, "What?" He says, "No." He said, "These apartments, we'll get, we'll give you your own apartment." I didn't even ask him for this, and he gave it to me. So then it was about twelve-week training, but you know, here two weeks, back two weeks, like that. So every two weeks or whatever, we'd go out to California. My wife would be with our son, and she'd have a vacation, and it was paid for. You know, we had a company car they were paying for. We paid for our own food, and that was it. And so that was something that people wouldn't normally do. Now, Rappas also told me, if at my first trip, if I paid less for food than for booze, if I paid more for food than for booze, he'd fire me. So he was just kind of a fun-loving guy. So he he was it. And then Eddie Slavin um, was my manager, and, and Edna Vera Slavin, slave and and, uh, she just uh, you know she's kind of quirky but if you know to me call someone calling somebody quirky for me i mean there's no one quirkier than i am so i didn't appreciate the genuineness of her until long after that we had a great time but i never really appreciated that she was a jewel and uh one one time time, you know she was a gourmet cook and we she invited us over to her house for this new thing called cajun brand new cajun we didn't didn't know about it it was without from Uh, new orleans new mexico somewhere down south so she makes us this meal and i'm sitting there with with wayne Hughesby and uh, doug burns and also we realized we can't breathe (laughs) literally she had put rather than like maybe a teaspoon a table of of some sauce of of a spice a a, a, a cup of it or whatever and it was just obliterated your mouth i mean i like hot food So we're all out on the side, outside, sitting on the, on the, on the, uh, on on the step. We were eating snow because it was right there. So we pick up snow and eat it because we are, we're literally going to blow up. So, and Eddie, we had so much fun with her on that. And she was just, and you know, then I had some great meals from her, but that was my favorite Eddie Slavin meal, which we couldn't even eat.
0: It was beyond Cajun. Do you think the, the management that you, the quality of the management that you refer to do you think that was something unique to HP or was that unique to the times?
1: Well, you know, as you know, I, I was at HP. I, I retired with a total of 28 years, but that out of 45 years, sometimes some of that wasn't spent at HP. And so I had experience in other companies, and that's when I could start compared to what it was. You know, they they had they had a desire to to make you successful, and they had a desire to stay there. You know, we have people you know, other companies would come in there and they're executive and they're from so you and know, from well, know, some company, some big company, and they're gonna change everything. And a year later they're gone. And they never they never appreciated the true fabric of HP. And I think the people you know that I worked for and worked with, they understood the fabric of what Bill and Dave wanted to have. And so I don't know if they were as technically as qual- as 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 trained in sales skills, that kind of thing. But the thing about working at HP, you could always have a great deal of pride in the fact that the products you sell are going to work. If they don't, we're going to fix it for you. Period. Never, never. And I was never, I was never abandoned with a customer. So, and that's because of the, that's because of the management. You get them involved and, and they'll, they'll make it work. That can be frustrating sometimes. And it's not, it's not moving on the Raleigh-Matson speed because I'm, I'm only one of many you get frustrated. But at the end of the day, very few companies can say they never abandoned a customer. And I would say HP
0: in those days never abandoned a customer when you think about the younger days of uh, your career at HP, did you, do you remember learning about the HP way? And at the time, did you think that term was kind of cheesy or was it something that you really um, adopted?
1: Interesting. Um, I would say that it was stressed almost from day one. Um, They talk about it. I didn't believe it at first because yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, we're great people you're a great person make you happy that kind of thing but it wasn't until you lived you know i knew the details but i didn't i didn't know the the the, the strength of it until i had been there for a while because it, we, we really believed it. back then we really believed it i remember once i went to see bill and i mean i mean i said, bill or dave's desk the old plant and I, I almost felt like i'd walk into a shrine you know because these guys really were different and not only audio oscillators but they really were different and it's interesting that was able it will keep that for Forty-five years or more. I don't know. I don't know how it is now. I have no idea. But um, they, they would keep that alive, and people would come along. Obviously, after they were gone, still believe it and could still give. They could still give that 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 speech and believe it.
0: Over your career, I know you worked with uh, a lot of customers, and I was fortunate to work with you quite a bit. Um, do you have some some favorite customer stories that you'd like to share with us? As you know, you and Mark Dankers. Again, I must always mention
1: Mark Dankers, or he'll come and he'll find me. You and you and, and Mark put together a great quote. Remember that it was, it was a, a big quote, and it was a lot of money. And um, I remember that uh, we took took it into the the CIO, and he was saying, "Well, you know, this is just a lot. Of, I'm not sure where the value is there." Blah blah blah. So I, anyway, so I caught him in the hallway afterwards, and I said, "What do you think?" He says, Raleigh, that's that's a lot of money, but you know, I got other problems right now." I said, oh, "That's too bad." I said, "Well, no, my 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 daughter." in law lives with us now and she can't breastfeed. I said, okay. So I'm going out now to find a pump. I said, sit right down. I said, I'm the full service guy. My wife sells breast pumps. So I said, we will sell you four, the true story, we'll sell you four Super Domes for nine or 10, whatever million dollars. And I said, I'll call my wife right now and she'll go over to your house because she's a nurse. So we went over to, to, to his house and his wife set up breastfeeding, daughter breastfeeding and everything is happening. So I said, you can go to IBM for a lot of things, but they do not combine dome technology with breast pumps. So that, that, is, that really did happen. And also as part of that, um, uh, Mike, or I can use Mike Gore's name. Mike a, was a good buddy of mine. He was at General Mills. And Mike spent uh, a lot of time in the Marines. So he's a he's a tough guy, you know. He was kind of a tough guy and liked that kind of thing. But he had a heart of gold. And so one time uh, he was going to move. And he was born and raised in Eden Prairie. So was his wife and so were three kids. They were going to move out, out to the lake. And they didn't want to move. He said, oh, come on. Right. So anyway, so all of a sudden it's a holiday. If you've got pets on holidays, their ferret got sick. So they put the ferret in the car and drive to some emergency vet, ding, 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 money. And the guy looks at it says, well, it me be 1,400 bucks. And he says, for a ferret? He said, that's what we operate And Well, that kind of thing, he said, no. So anyway, so his wife says, so in other words, you're gonna take the kid's uh, house, friends, church, and now their pet is their, their, uh, their okay, fix the damn thing. So they did. And four weeks later, it was deader than dead. So anyway, so, I, so I'm in there talking to, to, uh, to Mike or about a week later about something. He said, well, that's just way too much money. I said, "I said, Mike, it's a lot of money, but it's not ferret money. So every year for five years, I would go and find a, a calendar called Fun with Ferrets and ferrets with hats on, that kind of thing. I send it to him anonymously every year. And I knew he opened his mail because I get the most terse, filthy email from him, and I'd say, "Mike, you don't know what was me." He said, "Raleigh, I know it was from you." So anyway, that was my that was my fun with Ferris story. So,
0: so Raleigh, uh, you mentioned that you you always like to have fun, and I remember meeting hearing about a meeting at the HP office with you. I think it was an internal business meeting or our business plan meeting in which you. Infamously, combine people's names. Do you do you recall that one? Okay. Well, you
1: know, we have our annual
0: we have our annual
1: um, business reviews, and for some reason, the word condom came to mind Maybe because I had three kids in three years. I don't know, but I so anyway, so I, I put on a sl- overhead slide. You know, not a you know not a projection. C O M D O M condom. So I thought, okay, C for Schirmack, O for Oliveira, the vice president back then. N for net for uh C-O-N, I'll come to me. D for Dumay, Kevin Dumay, and O for um something else, and then M. So the, the words of our management team were C-O-N-D-O-M. And so anyway, so Oliveira, the vice president, was in town about a month later and Kevin Dumay saw him. And Kevin said, Hi, I'm the D in condom. Uh and he says, What? I said, they, <laughs> uh, he wasn't at the meeting. So he didn't know. So here's this guy talking to his <laughs> vice president. Hi, I'm Kevin DeMay. I'm the DN condom. i good. It's just get on my way, okay? So,
0: so Raleigh, uh, humor has always been obviously a big part of your personality, and you know it's been entwined in your career. Um, where do you think that comes from in, in yourself? Is that something you were just born with? Were your parents funny? How how did it how did it come about? Well, my my father um,
1: used to kid waitresses. And I was so embarrassed. I was so humiliated. My mom said three years later, he said, Raleigh, you weren't in your dad's league for harassing waitresses. Um, He was, he was really a fun guy, a lot of fun. And uh, I I think that, um, yeah, I don't get into detail, but, but the, the, the start of my life wasn't real positive. And I think that you can go one of two ways you can get down and stay that way, or you can try to have fun with it. And that's what we did. And so I, I, I literally had fun every day at work. I look forward to Monday mornings because to meet see more people make some money that kind of thing and so i i I look at the, the glass very much as full not half but it's i'm awful lucky to be where i am now from where i started you can't you can't do anything but feel good about that not that i'm anything i'm just saying that now i have a house with cars and that kind of thing you know so that was a big deal for me so that's probably where it came from is just a very positive feeling plus i have a i have a sick ability to think of things real fast that shouldn't be thought of and people laugh at them. That's what it is. There's people say, how do you write these? I said, write these things. I don't know about them until I hear about them. When you hear about them, it just comes out. So that's, and you know, you know, that's probably true. You, you, you've seen now something. Did I just say that it was funny, but grossly inappropriate.
0: So you at one point you left HP and I think you went to Tandem and and Tandem was eventually acquired by Compact and then yep. and then Compact was eventually acquired by HP again. So you had a kind of unique experience there of, of uh, going leaving and then being forced back. Do you, do you remember learning about that merger that was coming up for the first time and that you'd be back with HP? It's probably the best day of my of my
1: uh, business life. I left HP and went, you know, to Tandem because of money. You get there and it was the opposite of HP in every way possible. It was a it was a, a mean environment, a mean environment, and I got there in the first week. I said, "Oh my gosh, what did I do? What did I do?" I was just sick about it. So yeah, I went there solely for money, and that proved that showed me something, a lesson in life: is you can't just go for the money because that's, in the scheme of things, that's a very small part of what you're doing in business you're spending a lot of hours working. If it's just for the paycheck, a lot of miserable hours in the middle. I left there very soon afterwards and and it was a big mistake. I went to Compaq who was hiring right there. So I started there. So it was Compaq, you had bits of the old HP in terms of nice, good people working with you. But you kind of, you miss the excitement of of having the full line of products. Okay, you can now sell this. It's like, well, I'm not used to that. I'm used to having this whole breath. So when they finally bought Compaq, I was just thrilled. And so I went over in the morning to John Aiken's house and he lived about a mile away. And I said, John, we're gonna be working together again. And you know, as you know, John was my was my college roommate. And so he said, well, I got an HP shirt here for you. So I put it on. I then went to a nine o'clock meeting at General Mills and I walked in with an HP shirt on. And I said, I can change on a dime. Um, it was great news for me because um, I, I I was starting to really miss what I what we have had. Nothing against compact, good people, good products, good money, but it wasn't HP. So going back to HP was just a just a blessing. I, I'll never forget that day. Well our first HP meeting, I saw Mark Dankers and he put his hand on my hand and said, no Mark, I gotta hug you. And so we had a big hug and it was just kind of it relieved a lot of things in me. I mean, I can't put in words what it was, but um it, yeah the merger took took a while but it was um not much had changed.
0: Raleigh, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, it's been great to catch up with you and and to have you on this podcast. Uh, I'm sure everybody would like to know what you're up to personally these days, how things are going for you and your family.
1: Well, actually, you know, I'm um, doing very, very well now. Thank you. Um, we moved to Stillwater when we retired, and we uh, were by one of our daughters who's got two grandkids. But um, this this has been a, a, an amazing year for me. It was, you know, what's it was it Dickens that said, it's the best of times, worst of times? And this year was our best and our worst. And what I mean by the worst is um, August 2nd, we were at home, just, you know, probably raking the yard or whatever. We had a call from my my, my daughter's fiance, and he said, there's been a terrible accident. She was rock climbing with him, and she was 50 feet, tall, 50 feet high, and she fell. And so she broke every rib on her right side at least once. She crushed her pelvis. There are 8, 10, 12 rods right there in that. She, she, she lacerated her, her liver, punctured both kidneys and punctured both lungs. They had to bring a helicopter in to take her out of the mountains. Spent seven days in a coma. And then when she came out, they, she then asked what happened. Well, I was just told about a month ago, I was talking to my daughter that the final bill on that one month in, Mon- in Seattle was $1.4 million. Does not include the transportation to or from Seattle. So that's just the hospital bill. And if I was in there, a doctor would go like that. So that's a lot of work to be done. And the care of these people was so extraordinary. And so I know they do it every day and that's just no, no big deal. Well, it's a huge deal to people. So I hope that someday caregivers can appreciate what they really, truly mean. So anyway, so she was a she was positive from day one and she had umpteen different you know pipes and poses and things sticking there. And she was like that on her bed, flat bed for almost almost a month. She's getting married now August 7th, uh, a year and five years after she fell, and she's walking now uh, without without any, any assistance. So thankful and so optimistic that she actually pulled us through these times because we were so depressed, and she wasn't, I guess, so that so that, that is, has made us very, very happy. Right now, we're preparing for the wedding, but that was the best of times and worst of times, and I tell you, the, the best of times have followed since then. It's been tremendous, so really enjoyed The pandemic has been terrible, obviously, and we've suffered like everybody else, but really not that much. No one in our family got it. No one, no one that we know died from it. So we're, you know, but just all the, all the rules now it's no, you know, it ain't no big deal. When you, when you sit there for a month outside the hospital, hoping she doesn't die
0: a mask ain't no big deal. Absolutely amazing story. And I'm so glad that it has a, you know, a good ending <laughs> and Uh, I'm sure I can speak on the behalf of everyone, Raleigh, in wishing best wishes for a a continuing recovering for your daughter. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Raleigh. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I look forward to when we can get together before too long. Thanks a lot. Enjoy that. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Larpender Life is produced solely by me, Dave Carey. It's not affiliated or sponsored by HP in any way. I'd love to hear some feedback from you again. So please send me an email at larpenderlife at gmail.com. And especially, I'd love to have you as a guest. It's real easy, as I've told you before, and I promise that's the truth. Until then, take care, everybody.